Wait for it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exuberant, hope-filled episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and two very special guests, John Mark and Teresa Grodi, and we are delighted and blessed to be with you this evening. Absolutely. So, folks, we are at that time of year in fall, approaching the end of the church year, and all of the readings are inviting us to really reflect upon death, and all of creation proclaims this, right? The beauty is really the proclamation of life through death. And, uh, you know, as the monks would say, and we should be instructed to do the same, brother, reflect upon your death. Now, it sounds morbid, but... All of us are on that journey, and, well, funerals, we've all been to them, are sad. Uh, They are really an invitation for us to recognize our own journey. You know, I like to say that uh, funerals are the greatest teachers, but too few of us are taking notes. Funerals are great teachers, but too few of us are taking notes. You know, asking the questions, you know, the great song by Nickelback, if today was your last day, you know, how would we truly live differently if we knew that we only had days or weeks to live? These are really great questions, not just for that context of of being terminally ill, which again, we all to some extent are, but to look through that lens at our lives today. So we're delighted um, with Ignite Radio Live to really put on center stage couples who we think are attuned to that. They're on that journey. They're in the game. Not ready to pronounce them saints yet as we're on that great journey, but um, just to be really candid about the struggle. Let's face it, the struggle of looking at marriage and family and evangelizing those around us clearly and with urgency. So like Stephanie said, we're very delighted to have John, Mark, and Teresa tonight. And by way of a, a little introduction, I have to say, my first encounter with John Mark Grodi was actually his teeth on my ankle underneath the family table last year. No, I'm kidding. He was only maybe two years old, and I was blessed to know Marcus and Marilyn back in the day. And Marilyn, beautiful wife of Marcus, says that it was my fault. She said I was instigating them and getting them all riled up. And so he sat down at the family table There's for supper. Shocker. And uh, no, it was, it was kind of funny. So how awesome, years later, through my journey and certainly Marcus's journey and John Mark and his brother's journey, to see these awesome young men grow up to seek God with their hearts and minds. I'm so impressed with the Grow Eyes. And now they're on the front lines, folks, to see, you know, there have been great you know, stories throughout history of how like begets like. So Marcus and, and uh, Marilyn, how they formed godly men seeking the heart of the Father, and now in their own unique ways. So John Mark is running the uh, Coming Home Network, kind of taking over, if you will, some of the administrative management leadership functions. And uh, Marcus, who's been doing this for such a long time and has seen through his own conversion to Catholicism and weaving it into that great program of interviewing folks who, uh, you know, were reverts or converts to the Catholic faith. And since that program has begun, they were instruments, I believe, of over 200 different um, non-Catholic Christians to come into the fold. So John Mark is now at the helm of that, along with many other activities through his parish and other things. But we are so blessed to have both of you, John Mark and Teresa, with us tonight. Welcome. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having us. How's that for an intro? Uh, But we love to... (laughs) Pretty great intro. Yeah, how about that? It still tastes like chicken after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's so good. Chick-fil-A um, sauce. The only thing that would make it better. That's right. <laughs> so we love um, to quote the scripture, Revelation twelve eleven. They defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. 
as Catholics, we know blood of the lamb, the sacrifice of the mass and the power that comes through that. And also the word of the testimony to put on center stage a greater comfort to proclaim it. Mm. So many people think we need these huge, you know, stories when testimony comes in the smallest of ways Mm -hmm. because the Lord, there's nothing small about the Lord, right? He Mm -hmm. just magnifies it all um, when it is done with that heart. So again, we welcome you and we thank you for um, being so willing to proclaim the word of your testimony this evening with us. So we're going to put you on the spot, ladies first. Teresa, share with us a little bit of your own background of uh, really kind of coming to intentionally seek the heart of God and the fullness of the Catholic faith. Well, first of all, I have to say, you have the Grodeis raw tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you have the Schleters raw, just too. <laughs> barely got back together. John Marks was gone for five days. <laughs> raw is good. We like That's raw. Awesome. Raw and we real. Did. We got your real presence. Yeah, we threw Love the it. kids in bed, and hopefully this will work out for us. <laughs> it's all good. Um, well, so I'm a cradle Catholic, and I had 14 years of Catholic schooling. Um, I grew up in a... My mom's side is Catholic, and my dad's side is Lutheran, um, but we were raised Catholic. Um, but as as a cradle Catholic, unfortunately, <laughs> um, I knew very, very little about our faith. Um, I'm very blessed to have known, you know, God is good, um, and God was is omnipotent, you know, and um, that God wants me to be good, and... Um, you know, so I, I knew I had general ideas that Mary was good and the saints were good people, you know. Um, but I, I really didn't have any concept of the sacraments or um, what exactly good meant, you know, not killing people. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was kind of gray. Everything else was kind of gray. God was going to love me anyway, um, regardless of my actions or, um, you know, maybe maybe only really serious actions would you know, pull me away from him or something. Um, so I kind of drifted into um, kind of new agey uh, religion of the magazines, whatever mm-hmm. they said, you know, whatever celebrities said was what I kind of followed. Um, and I, I definitely did start dabbling into um, new agey things uh, without giving it much thought. I still kind of, I would have called myself a Catholic. It's not like I ever thought I walked away from the church. Um I I, um, went to kind of progressive uh, female schools, you know, so, um, or at least at the time, um, progressive female schools, and um, it was never a question whether or not I would have an abortion, you know, like, I would never have an abortion, but darn, I'd get in the car and I'd drive my best friend to the abortion clinic and I'd hold her hand the whole way if that was her choice kind of thing. Um, And I was very well-educated, very ambitious. I came from a poor family, um, so it was always up to me as to whether or not I was going to succeed in the world. And um, that attitude really just really propelled me forward. I was always looking forward. I was always looking um, to better myself and to achieve more. And kind of, you know, the the feministy progressive movement was just part of, you know, achieving academically and and moving forward. Um, I began dating a guy who is not my husband now. (laughs) Just clarifying. Um, And his family... Um, was very 
um, like they wanted to go to mass every Sunday, and I didn't get that. Like mm. <laughs> as a cradle Catholic, like it didn't matter if I went to mass on Sundays. God loved me anyway. You know, we went maybe at least once a month, or I went by myself if I could drive. You know, um, so his family was. Every single weekend, we had to be there no matter what, you know. Is this high school, I, college, I really see or that. time? I'm sorry? Was this high school, college, what what rough time? This was your... about, co- this was uh, undergraduate in okay. college. Um, so uh, I started going um, on Sundays every Sunday, and, you know, I, I really started actually learning a lot more about my faith. I was involved in the, the youth group there um, as, a, as a leader, uh, um, and I, I started getting a little more information, and I heard for the first time that I wasn't supposed to use the pill someday. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'd never really heard anything about the church's teaching on contraception. I just assumed all women used contraception. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so just little chinks started here and there. Um, Can I, I pause I you on that really moment? Have a conversion. Sure. Can I pause you? So just not to lose your train of thought, but that's a pretty mm-hmm. monolithic thing, given the prominent message that our, our gratification is the greatest good, and the church is down on sexuality, at least in the culture that you paint, which I think was many others. Were you, when you heard that message, were you internally saying, yada, yada, nice for them, but you know they really don't think, and I'm educated? How, how did you initially receive it? I just thought it was absurd. Okay. <laughs> All I could think of was like, why would anyone ever think that you I mean like it, it just seemed it just seemed absurd. I don't I don't know how else okay. to interpret it. I didn't think like dark ages. I just thought like <laughs> who's gonna follow that? You know, gotcha. like that's Thank that you. would be so like it would be that's all on me. Like it would be all on me, you know. I just have to you know, like I assume everything that has to do with you know bearing children and having tons of children, like it just it just seemed absurd. Okay. Um, so I didn't really even give it more than like a ridiculous sure, you know thought sure. um, until later. Um, and so there were these there were these little like intellectual things that were kind of forming me, um, leading up to a rather miraculous conversion. Um, so I was doing pre-law at Bowling Green State University, and um, I decided to take the devil's advocate position when it came to a paper I was writing on abortion. Um, I decided to just write the history of legal law, you know, like on abortion. Um, and I, from that, I started to get in touch with women who had been raped and kept their children, mm. conceived and raped. Um, And I just, I had never, like, this just kind of blew my mind. Their Mm -hmm. testimonies just blew my mind. Um, I always thought it was a hypothetical. I never realized anyone would have ever kept a child um, conceived in rape. And these women, you know, were talking about victory. They were talking about their baby as not being staring in the rapist's face for the rest of their life. Um, That this child was a unique person and that it helped their healing. Um, And so this kind of came before my conversion. I started thinking, like, you know, I brought it to my mostly um, liberal progressive um, classmates, and I was like, look, guys, like, this is the holy grail. Like, we, we think that nobody, you know, like, these testimonies are incredible. And I was thinking about it from, like, a truly truth perspective. Like, here's more data, you know, data mm-hmm. that we didn't think existed. And I, I couldn't believe um, the kind of 
rude remarks from my teacher. And, and I get it wow. now because it's such a weighted political thing. Sure. <laughs> but at that point, I mean, I was just thinking of this as in terms of truth. You know, and you know they were just waving these women away, and that really hurt me. Mm. Um, so, so these are a couple intellectual things that started occurring. Um, and when my fiance at the time broke up with me, um, I, I kind of I don't know why I had this thought. It would have never occurred to me before, but I remember thinking like the only way I'm going to get him back is if I pray. Mm. And I honestly I have absolutely no idea how where that came from, but I just, like, delved into prayer, um, and within a couple of days, my mom had given me a book um, uh, on Medjugorje, The Alleged Apparitions in Medjugorje, and I've talked on Annunciation Radio about that, because I ended up going on and writing my um, master's thesis at Bowling Green State University on um, the history of the Church's involvement in those um, uh, apparitions. Um but anyway, so I had, from reading that book, I just had an overnight conversion, just mm-hmm. overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, I believed everything that the church taught. You know, like once that book was closed, it was like I knew it was all true. I knew everything was true, and my life just turned, like, flipped on a dime. And um, all those intellectual things that had kind God had been kind of preparing, um, I just, you know, like I just, they they completed so many pieces. They completed so many, um, like, it just all fell into place. Um, and I did have a little bit of a background in New Age, and it was kind of funny because as soon as I had my conversion, the, the CDs, the Lighthouse Catholic Media CDs that I started picking up and, and um, movies that started coming out were all about exorcism. Um, and I started to realize, like, it, it was God's way of, like, forming my conscience a little more. Um, and I was able to go to confession. Um, it took a few times to kind of, like, over the course of a couple years to root out all the things that were kind of attached to me um, from that New Agey background. Um, but it was just, it was beautiful. I wish I had, I wish I had more to say, like, mm. <laughs> about how I thought through the process of conversion, but no, it was really just um, a, very, a miraculous gift that occurred overnight. That's, that's amazing. So folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live, and we are with John Mark and Teresa Grodi, young couple with four beautiful kids, and Teresa began just sharing with us her story of being kind of nominally Catholic and in a very progressive culture and asking hard questions and through studying abortion, uh, really coming to see that there's some fundamental truths here that aren't received very well by a purportedly open-minded culture. So you kind of see there a breakdown of really classical liberalism, right, and openness to all that is true. We don't want to hear the truth, don't want to go there. And just the beauty of your uh, encounter with grace of our Blessed Mother in Medjugorje. Really awesome. So, John, Mark, your turn. Tell us about your background. Sure thing, Greg. So, I mean, if anyone's familiar with my father's story, he was a Presbyterian pastor, and around the age of five, he was going through his, or when I was five, he was going through his intellectual conversion, thinking through the issues of authority, his authority to preach the pastor, you know, what he's to tell his, his congregation about issues like salvation mm. and the sacraments when just down the street there are other denominations teaching something very, very different. Mm-hmm. And that ended up leading him to coming home to the Catholic Church. And so I was about five, uh, so I wasn't quite a cradle Catholic, maybe a bunk bed Catholic. I'm not <laughs> sure. Maybe that would probably work. I love it. <laughs> 
you know, I did. I didn't have to go through the the issues of of uh, conversion uh, of an intellectual conversion, but I enjoyed all the fruits. And so, mm. you know, ever since I was young, uh, my life has been formed by my father's testimony and by the testimony of many other evangelical ministers and lay people who have become Catholic. And so, hearing their stories, particularly hearing their passion for Christ before. They came home to the Catholic Church. That was the motive and the reason mm-hmm. for them to follow those intellectual inklings and make the journey all the rest of the way home. And so that was the backdrop to my childhood was, you know, the child of, of evangelical parents who are now discovering the rich treasures mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church. So, so for me, it was always, you know, Catholicism or nothing. Um, that, you know, there was never a question of, of what's out there. It was, it was, it was clear to me that uh, if it was true, it was the Catholic Church. I did have uh, a period of time in my teens that as I wrestled with, uh, you know, really young men's teenage sins and, you know, emotions and, and a little bit of depression and stuff here and there, as well as wrestling with, you know, discerning my vocation. You know, the question I really did ask, on the one hand, I loved being Catholic, and again, it was Catholicism or nothing for me. I did begin to wonder, you know, if I dig deeper beyond this, you know, how seriously do we, do we take the questions of, of whether God is real? And I, I thought I'd had experiences of God, but, you know, I, I, I delved deep in those questions. What I most wanted to know is what we meant by faith, you know, because I would hear people use that word, and some people seemed to imply what I desired, which mm. was this close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet others, by their word and example, seemed to mean something very different by faith. Mm. Simply, you know, a, a set of, of propositions that they believed um, but something that they would... In fact, I remember somebody once telling me, well, you know, we, we can kind of believe these things, but we won't really know till we die whether they're true or not. Mm. And I'm like, I don't want to spend my life with them. <laughs> like, yep. I, I want to know Christ. I want to know... You know, I, I read these wonderful stories about saints who, who knew the Lord. Didn't know, just know about the Lord, but knew the Lord. And that filled up and inflamed and empowered their entire lives, and that's what I wanted. And so I, I, I was subtly trying to wrestle, parse out these issues of the different examples I saw in word and action. And, you know, I, my, my intellectual journey, I, I spent about a semester at the Josephinum um, discerning my vocation. It only took me a semester to discern out. But while I was there, I, I started taking a class on the catechism, and that introduced me to the wonderful resource that the Catholic catechism is. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the catechism, it... it it spells out what faith is. Faith is man's response to God, and I thought, I thought long and hard about uh, what the Catechism talked about in terms of faith. Faith is man's response, but response implies that God does something first. Mm-hmm. Faith is a gift to us, but it's something that God does first. We respond to Him. And also, faith isn't just a matter of the, the content in your head. Faith is something you put in a person, and that's the sort of thing I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth in the Church, that if I kept digging... I'd find what I was looking for, which mm. is to really know God and not just know about God. Wow. So eventually I landed in Toledo, Ohio, at Bowling Green State University, um, where Teresa was, at, at, where she was studying, um, and through the, the Catholic community there, the campus ministry, um, I had great exposure to her and to many other wonderful young Catholics. I lived in the Newman House there um, at, at uh, St. Thomas More uh, Campus Parish. Uh, I was very close to the chapel. I lived in community with some other men. I got very involved in the campus ministry there, and that was a perfect punctuation mark to the kind of the 
progress of my intellectual journey because I was I was beginning my studies in philosophy or continuing them at Bowling Green State University, and I had a, this perfect Catholic community to have you know wonderful discussions and to spend lots of time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and. Whereas for Teresa, it was a miraculous, quick conversion for me. It was just a process of many years of thinking through, satisfying my intellectual curiosity to see if the Church really could um, answer the, mm-hmm. my, my really deep, hard questions that no one had ever asked before. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> as well as, again, to spend much time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And wow. I, I did come to know Christ uh, close. Uh, I became to, 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 to really... Have, have a deep prayer life and a deep sense of the, the Lord's presence. And so that's, that was really kind of settled there. And that was um, uh, at least that piece of the journey, being knowing that I can come to know God and be in relationship with God, uh, really uh, kind of came to fruition there. Wow. And that's where I met Teresa. Beautiful. So, so before we go to the Pac-Man they meet, um, absolutely beautiful testimony, John Mark. You're a bit of a poster child of Pope Benedict's Jesus of Nazareth trilogy that, it, you know, if I may have the audacity to summarize this tremendous work and everything Benedict has written, I'm just such a fan as he speaks so much with such richness to souls. But the thesis that relationship is the heart of ritual, relationship is the heart of religion, and I, I think that speaks to a lot of folks today um, who maybe grew up Catholic and know the propositions and, you know, even faithfully participate in the, the riches of the Church, but I hear in you a deeper thing that is saying this is not meant to be just sort of an external observant type of thing. God desires a kind of intimacy with him. And I guess I want to press you before we go further, John Mark, because some people get confused about what does it mean to have this relationship. And I think it can trend in different directions that are only partially true. One is a totally emotional thing, like relationship with God is emotions. And we run the risk then of what? Worshiping emotions and the name of God. And we become unmoored from, if you will, the apostolicity and the, the truth of our faith. And the other side is kind of like this, I'm just going to be a good soldier, and uh, I'm going to be suspicious of all emotions, you know, kind of that spiritual sense. I'm sure as you were speaking in your story, you wrestled with some of that. How did you, mm-hmm. how can you clarify maybe for some of us, what does it really mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in the fullness of our Catholic faith? How did that hit you? Sure. Well, you know, early in my teens, and before my teens, I did. I went to a lot of youth conferences, Youth 2000, and you know, Franciscan University stuff. And so I, I had experienced uh, certainly an admixture of things. On the one hand, you know, growing intellectually in my faith. On the other hand, having some strong experiences, which I I I, I thought were coming to know God, but probably having a bit of the extreme on both ends. You know, that I had to kind of wrestle with and parse through mm-hmm. and interrogate a little bit in my own life, but. You know, as you say, it's um, the relationship is not about emotions, and I guess my the direction I always go with this is just you know using the very weak analogy that I have with my human relationships. You know, I, I uh, to to put faith, uh, you know, merely human faith in my wife and to love to love her and to propose marriage to her and marry her. I can't just know about her. I have to come to know her. Mm. And then that relationship itself, again, it's, it's not the mere data, but it's also not the mere emotion, because as G.K. Chesterton says, you know, uh, the point of the marriage bond is to get a couple through the failure, the inevitable failure of the honeymoon. <laughs> and by that he means that, you know, after this, there, there are high, high emotional points and low emotional points in any relationship, because the emotions 
themselves aren't what the relationship is. It is a real connection. And so, again, in my own life, um, I think for a while there, there was just this anxiety that if I if I let go of the emotions a little bit, I'm not going to find a real connection there. I'm not really going to find a connection with the Lord. Uh, and and that's this kind of was was my underlying worry during my teen years. But you know, I, how do I explain it beyond that? On the on the one hand, I became very intellectually convinced that that there is a God, and that there are some things we can know about Him. And, but then from there, it was you know, Lord, I want to know You. Mm. It was spending that time in prayer. It was spending time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And again, in my case, it wasn't you know a grand miraculous or, or emotional experience, but it was over time. My, my intellectual conviction, uh, my conclusions about the, the existence of God coming to meet a, an ongoing, uh, you know, personal experience of the Lord's, uh, not just His presence, but also His, his, um, his fidelity, mm. in that the, as, I, as I obey Him in the Church, as I, as I live out the faith, as I attend the sacraments, uh, in many small ways I experience Him, but I also experience the fruits of grace. As I said, I think one of the things that sparked off my intellectual journey as a teen was dealing with the, you know, the the struggles with sin of a young man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and finding more and more that, you know, desiring freedom in those areas that it only really came about by living out the sacraments, by pursuing them, by pursuing prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was a grace there. There was a fidelity of God. There was again not always, but on occasions, a, a presence, a presence, but even. Um, you know, at times, uh, a passionate, emotional thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, wonderful. As Chesterton says, it's a th- in the end, it's a thousand things. And so, where do I start? Right. <laughs> no, that that's that is great. And just for, to punctuate for our listeners, uh, I hear you say three prominent things that are, are helpful to me. And I think everybody. Number one, revelation. God revealed Himself. He took on flesh and blood, and today He reveals Himself. And faith is that response to that revelation. I think number two is that sense of yearning you know the you know John Paul II uh, the heart of every urge is an urge to a completion in God every urge the heart of it is an urge to this intimacy with God and so you use the word yearning kind of a yearning that, that we all right now listening folks we have it and uh, the question is is are, 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 is our yearning fixed on the right designed object of that yearning and thirdly you did something about it you availed yourself in, in silence and adoration, certainly in study, all these things, you availed yourself to a conviction that God will move in. God will inhabit our intellects. He will satisfy our intellects in our hearts. And in adoration in particular, in the sacraments, there is that, you know. So I might just say, as we continue uh, talking about this, um, if, if, if Satan knows that, he wants to deprive us of all three of those things. You know, he wants to skew revelation. Good is bad and bad is good. He wants to misdirect our yearning to lesser things. And quite frankly, he wants to create clouds of distraction and confusion so that we never take the time. We, be, we, can, we replace blessedness with busyness, and even good Catholics right, right now frustrated, hey, I'm going to Mass, and I'm going to retreats, and I'm praying the rosary. Why am I not connected? Well, maybe it's that heartfelt availing to, uh, to God. Let's... Um, Let's take the next step then. Now share with us, and I know there may be the classically his or her story. Tell us about how you met and fell in love and that whole, uh, I don't know, important subject of uh, how you understood courtship and came to engagement and marriage. Go ahead, Well, Teresa. I'll tell that story. Because <laughs> I don't remember most of it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So. You can have a glass of wine, John oh, yeah, Mark. Get permission, a little scotch or something. You're good. So just pay attention Cigar. for next time. You can impress me. Um, well, I, I remember, I actually remember the first time I saw John Mark. Um, someone had finally, actually, maybe she's listening, but my friend Angie had been pulling at me to try to, co- to come to um, the Catholic organization on campus at BGSU. And I finally came. And I was um, hanging out in the back, kind of looking around, and I saw this guy who I thought was kind of cute, but he also looked young, and he also looked like he was scared and standing (laughs) in the back. Um, And I thought to myself, I better go talk to this guy or he might leave Catholicism. (laughs) I was wearing a Mountain Dew. It's all on (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's, I mean, that was all I remember of him for, like, probably about a year. But, um, no, we met um, through the Catholic organization and I was you know I was fighting my own battles I was coming off of a you know even though I had this miraculous conversion you know I was still working at a bar I was still you know I at this point I was in my graduate studies um you know and I was just living a here and there life you know we had adoration Wednesday nights uh, Father Mike Danderan led night of worship and I would go to night of worship at nine o'clock, and then I'd go out to the bar, and that would be my drinking night. <laughs> mm. there you go. So Spirit and spirit. Kind of like that for a while, and um, Father Mike offered confession five days a week. And man, if he hadn't offered confession five days a week, I probably wouldn't have found Saint Tom's. I probably wouldn't <laughs> be where I am today. So, anyway, go Father Mike. Um, so you know, I was kind. I was. Um, I was aggressively seeking out the community at St. Thomas More to kind of be my accountability people um, awesome. and, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, finish up my my departure from the culture. Um, and John Mark was younger than me, is younger than me. <laughs> and so he was never on my radar, but apparently I was on his radar. Um, and as soon as my grandma, who watched EWTN fervently, um, found out that Marcus Grody's son was at the Newman Center I was at. Um, she had it in her mind that we would get married. Aw, cute grandma. And one day I figured this out, and I was like, Grandma, that's not going to happen. And she was like, oh, but why? Why would you guys be there at the same time? And I'm like, oh, Grandma. So I went back to the Newman Center. And I, like, found John Mark, and I was like, oh, you want to hear the funniest thing? My <laughs> grandma thinks we're going to get married. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> I, was, I was playing Xbox with my friend at the time, and she flounced off, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that, man? <laughs> <laughs> so eventually he asked me out. Um, Which took real guts and, after that, right? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you Good have job, no idea. John Mark. <laughs> So he asked me out, and I thought, because we lived at the same Newman Center together, so we saw each other all the time, so I just thought he meant hang out somewhere. I don't know what I was thinking. So I was like, yeah, sure. And then I realized, somehow I woke up in the middle of the night, and I realized that he asked me out on a date, and I almost threw up. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to let him down. I let him down, and I said that I was just not interested in him. Ow. Ow. She still made me go to the wedding she'd invited me to go to with her family. Wow. I just want to let that be on the record. Did you sit yeah. with her grandma? So I, I really <laughs> let him along. I really let him along for a while. And then at one point, I felt with all this charity in my heart, I think I like this guy. I'm going to ask him out, and he's going to be so happy. <laughs> so you got down on one knee. <laughs> so I 
told him I wanted to date him, and then he was like, oh, I'm already talking to another girl. Oh, and nice move. <laughs> Blessed Mother Mary. He didn't I tell you that, it. though, did he? I handled it a lot worse than he did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she didn't talk to me for like three days. Wow! And I don't. If Nick Meyer, if Nick Meyer's out there doing the three days, I I talked to him a good bit and a number of my other guys, and I I uh, eventually after three days I went back to her and with much fear and, and trepidation, and trembling. I said, you know, I I think I think we should give this a shot. Wow! And then three days of darkness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the rest is pretty uneventful. We. So how long did you date before <laughs> engagement? How long did you guys date? What do you want to know? So how did you guys, how long did you date? A little bit of filling that out. So you, you got together, you dated. When did you kind of know? And, and actually for the listeners also who are discerning, right, uh, dating and marriage, give us some insight maybe of, of what your sense was of the importance and God's design of dating and how you work through that. And maybe even if you gained even greater insight now from your perspective, you know, t- tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, first of all, I should say that um, at the Newman Center at St. Thomas More, we were, like, so deeply steeped in theology of the body. I mean, every talk, every gathering, every event, it seemed like, was was about sex. (laughs) Um, And the Church's teaching on marriage and human sexuality, and no questions were avoided. I mean, we we really, I feel like we had a, a... like could have a degree in theology of the body by the time that we got engaged. Um, so I want to put that out there first. So we were we were both really striving and seeking and excited to live out the church's teaching um, on marriage and sexuality. And um, we weren't perfect, you know, perfect lovers when we got married. Um, but we we definitely um, were in it with our whole heart. Um, there was no other. There was no other. You know, like we weren't vacillating on any of the church's um, mm-hmm. teachings in that area. Right. I think we dated for a year and a half before we got married. Is that uh, right? Yeah. So. And I think tr- right from the beginning, Teresa was, you were kind of like, you were like, yeah, I pretty, like, I'm ready. I, we should get married. Like, early on, you kept mentioning <laughs> marriage before I was. Well, what's the point of dating? Well, I, I com- <laughs> and I agreed married. with that, but you were like, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my, historically, as a, as a teen, my, my teens, I had many, like, almost relationships where I'd get kind of all the way up to bat and then just kind of be very anxious and just sort of abandon the relationships and um, just lots of anxiety throughout my teens about relationships. And I, I, for the first time, really, with Teresa, I felt a real sense of freedom. Like, I was still very anxious about my future and, like, wow, am I doing the right thing and where's this going to go? And mm-hmm. But I really had a sense of freedom of this, you know, Teresa had become a very good friend, almost like a sister to me, and... Um, you know, and we really respected each other's faith. And so, you know, when I finally kind of came back and said, you know, let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. Um, I, again, I think she kept mentioning marriage. I think she was pretty set in her mind. It took me a little while longer, but it was a great growing experience of, of, uh, of getting to know each other and, you know, learning to pray together and talking about our future and talking about kind of what we, you know, what we were felt called to and different things. Um, and it was, yeah, so it was about a year and a half. It's about a year later, I I got a ring. I took her down to Cary, Ohio, to the shrine. Um, I think I dropped the ring when I pulled it out of the box, isn't that what I did? And it, it rolled down the aisle a little bit. I could catch it. 
But um, but yeah, we got engaged, and then so that that following spring, uh, we were married in Rossford. Yes, that all thing. Yeah. And you're gonna have to prompt us again because what do you? Well, no, no, that's you know that's beautiful, and you know so you, you guys uh, of your, in your generation are really the upper five percent of those who look at the world as Frank Sheed would say, God bathed, and not you know that it's perfect, but you definitely were blessed by theology, the body. By the way, just for our listeners, what what was most compelling for people who have never heard of theology, the body? What was most compelling? to you or instructive to you about theology of the body that was practical? Oh, um, the beauty of order. Um, I, something that we both bonded over, really, um, is that we're both truth seekers. Mm. Um, and I, I think that our generation has a real heightened awareness for um, inauthenticity. Like, we don't like it. We don't like being sold something. Mm. Um, and I remember when I was hearing Theology of the Body, it made, I don't want to say it made sense because that sounds so silly, but the, the beauty of God's order and that like, there was nothing to be afraid of in asking any question, uh, you know, searching any truth, um, it really changed not just my outlook on human sexuality, but also on everything. I mean, my the my whole my whole world shifted. You know, the way I looked at the world just um, it made total sense of creation. I don't mm-hmm. know how else to mm-hmm. describe it. Yep. Yeah, I think I'd say something similar. It, it, I mean, it seems like uh, theology of the body is a great sort of natural law uh, entry point into the faith. You know, you're starting with something immediate to your experience. You know, human bodies and the the experience of, of being a gendered human being. You know, being a man, being a woman. Uh, that's something that's immediate to every human being's experience. That experience of themselves and of other people, and just then to discover, you know, the you know the the many ways in which uh, kind of built into our our very very humanness is. Uh, some important uh, important revelation of who God is and what He wants for us. Uh, so there was that whole part of that intellectual kind of truth seeking part that we we appreciated, and we also appreciated seeing you know w- what an impact that made to our fellow classmates on campus to see them that be an entry point for them to to the faith. But then also again for us is you know looking forward towards marriage. You know it really it, it gave us a sense of purpose to being being called to married life. We also came to marriage with very different experiences, environmentally and experientially. You know, uh, our our experiences of schooling, our experiences of children, our experiences of marriage. And while we intellectually wanted to live out the faith, you know, as we approached marriage, we recognized, you know, still we were maybe at different on different pages when it came to, you know, where does school fit in, how many kids, things like that. Even having kids. <laughs> well, we we knew we were going to, but, you know, but, Teresa, you, I think you confessed to me, you know, a few months before we got married, like, just emotionally that you'd never had this desire to have kids. And I just realized, wow, you know, like, we still have so much baggage that we mm, just have mm. picked up from our so lives. Nice. But part of, I think, one of the things that Theology of the Body, at least it gave us this confidence that with God's grace, slowly and surely, you know, we, we would heal and we would learn and we would, be given the grace to to listen to God's will and to carry it out. That's beautiful. So, Teresa, I want to go there for a moment. Um, that 
that expression on your part, whatever it may have been at the heart of brokenness from your childhood, uh, different conceptions of femininity, whatever it was to maybe be somewhat averse to having children. Because I'm looking at, I'm creeping right now, I'm looking at your webpage, John Mark, and I see you're, you're holding the four beautiful kids. And um, obviously you've been only married eight years, if I've got that right, just a little over eight mm-hmm. years. And, uh, and so you're obviously open to life and you're proclaiming life. And we know that, we'll go there in a second, uh, that, that it, there are the beautiful challenges, self-sacrificing, the joy in self-sacrifice. We'll go there in a moment. But just, Teresa, what, how would you describe for our listeners the interior conversion to come to a point of being open to life in the way that you have? Um, well, it was all about trust. Um, as John Mark said, faith is a response to God. Um, and at this point, I had come to know God. I had come to know Him. Um, and I recognized him in a very real way in my life and in a prayer and in my prayer um, that I had never thought about having children. Maybe I had thought that like um, I would adopt a child someday, a little boy who was really nerdy, and I could really empower him <laughs> to be. I don't know, like how self-serving is that? Like the, the only way I ever looked at children was like. I don't know. I just didn't. Ha- it didn't seem as though I had a maternal instinct. I just didn't care for them. <laughs> um, and uh, but once I had my conversion, you know, you know that when you get married, like babies will come, you know. And I just trusted. I trusted that God was not going to give me children to make me hate them. <laughs> so I think I said to John Mark, it was it was more like a couple of weeks before we were getting married that I was like, oh yeah, I've never really wanted to have children. We had talked about having children, but like I've never, it never occurred to me to tell him that like, eh, I don't really care for him. There was that little important part, <laughs> but, important part of our marriage. Yeah, but I mean like I knew, I at this point I knew God well enough to know how powerfully he had changed my heart mm-hmm. so many times in the past that I knew mm-hmm. he was going to change That's my beautiful. heart. Um, and we, when we got married, I really did. I mean, I did. Like, we had a fight. Uh, I had imagined that we were going to show everybody in the world, including, like, my family and my extended family members, like, how well NFP worked. So we were <laughs> not going to conceive a child <laughs> for, like, 10 months into marriage. And because we wanted to show them, like, they knew we were not using contraception. Well, and, and we also had a grave-ish reason in the sense of we didn't have a place to live and we had no money. And well, But still, in my mind, in my controlling mind, I was still like, no, we're going to wait. We're going to wait for 10 months, and that's how, you know, whatever. And maybe about four months into marriage, John Mark, John Mark said to me, I think maybe, you know, like, I think we should maybe try this month to have a child. And I flipped out. I mean, things started spewing out of my mouth that I never even knew that were in there. Like, like it's my body, you know, like my body's going to change. You're just going to get a kid. You, you don't even know what this means for me. Like, I, I mean, I was really, I mean, I didn't realize how wounded I was in there, wow. you know. And we had talked about it, and I was like, okay, well, just give me a month to start taking prenatal vitamins and eat better, you know, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> and, um, you know, from the first pregnancy test that first month that we tried to have a baby like that first positive pregnancy test like that was it god changed my heart instantly i mean it was instant i was joyful and happy and a a mother from from that moment teresa your testimony is is right now just trans (laughs) transformative your candor your honesty uh about that whole 
battle and just that that God anointed you by the yes, anointed you by availing yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, those words that came out of your mouth, classical, you know, aversions that many people in the culture have. So just, I want to thank you for your mm-hmm. boldness. And obviously, as you've spoken those words, I'm praying for any who are listening right now who may have just such a strong wall, a strong aversion to God. And it may be with regard to being open to life, maybe with regard to God himself, folks. You're hearing just a testimony from a beautiful, candid couple here talking about real resistance and just leaning into it and opening the door and almost saying, God, you know, prove yourself to me. Um, so let's go to the point where you discover that you're pregnant and maybe just share with us, um, we'll go to little family questions. What are some of the candid struggles and challenges of being parents and the balance, all that involves faith, fostering a culture of faith with a little family? That's a big question. Um, yeah, you know, I think we have lots to share. I think you know, Teresa said it best that you know one of the things that's characterized our ongoing relationship with God and discovering the vocation to marriage and family as a couple has been has been trust. Again, we we came to our to our faith, and then you know like step by step we just kind of reach these points where oh this is a bit farther than than I'm comfortable or comfortable or you're comfortable or this is a bit beyond you know my ability. Um, I think you know there, there are just so many topics and aspects of, of it that we. We just reached a, a, a new a new threshold of this is just beyond uh, my experience and my ability, but mm-hmm. we're, we're going to trust and learn together and, be, and tr- trusting each other too. Um, and so, you know, so with the well, Teresa, do you want to you want to talk about uh, the what? Sure. <laughs> do you want to, maybe more than mother's back. Well, I mean, so I. I'm an educated woman. I'm a well-educated woman. And um, I have met a lot of other well-educated women um, in my short time as a mother um, who, ha- who share similar struggles, okay? So you come from a background of even if you have certain um, walls that you're bumping up against, like socioeconomic or, you know, other things like that, um, we still live in a nation of choice. Um, so I, I lived my whole life, even though I was poor and certain doors were closed to me, I still lived my whole life as I chose. I chose what struggles I took on, and I chose to persevere, and I chose what job to accept, and I chose what college to go to and what classes to push through. Um, you know, but when you become a parent, uh, John Paul II said that the purpose of sex is to make parents of people. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that that sums up my experience completely. Um, I didn't have a choice in any matter anymore. And maybe I thought with my first, I, I was really wrestling and I you know, had some struggles and I was really giving of self. Um, <laughs> as more kids came, I realized, how much of me was still left. Mm. Um, And God, and I I really say this honestly, God gave me the gift of postpartum depression Mm. after, I believe after my second child, but it was a long time before we knew what it was. Um, It carried on through my my third child. Um, And I, everything that I, all the changes that I had made in my heart, like 
Um, I hated the idea of staying home. I didn't want to be that person. I hated the idea of homeschooling. I didn't want to do that. But God really changed my heart in in my situation to just be open to those kind of things um, and really embrace them. And then all of a sudden, I have postpartum depression. And I, it was really a struggle. Like, why, Lord? I, you've changed my heart to want these things. You've changed my heart to change my priorities. Why now do I have a panic attack every time I sit down to teach my child when I'm home educating them? You know, why does it feel like I dislike my children? You know, why does it feel like this motherhood thing isn't for me, but I want more children? There's nothing more wonderful than what I have in them and in my family. And it really, like, God really brought me down to the lowest I could possibly be. And, and I, I have to say that, like, through it all, even, even though it was so dark, I knew that there was this light of trust of a God I knew. I knew Him, mm-hmm. even though I couldn't feel Him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we learned, we thanks be to God through doctors and through, you know, other people's testimony that it was postpartum depression and we took steps to rectify it. But I mean, like I needed that not only now to minister to other mothers, um, but to also like, I I needed to know that God was trustworthy and I needed to know that, that, I mean, I just needed, that's what I needed as, as the educated woman who's always had choice in front of her. Um, you know, and has always had my own strengths and my own, my own ambition. Um, it really took me, like, God really provided. God really provided an education for my children. God really provided love for my children, um, even though I was, you know, experiencing something really dark. And just as a PSA out there, um, postpartum depress- depression isn't just, like suicidal thoughts or I want to harm my child, which is why I didn't think I had it because I didn't have either of those things. Um, so if you're experiencing something like um, jaw clenching, like intense jaw clenching or um, just feeling down, low libido, um, anger, anxiety, panic, thyroid-ish sounding um, things, um, oppressive thoughts, violent thoughts, you know, not like I'm going to have violence, but my husband's going to die in a car crash the second he leaves the house. Mm. That might be postpartum depression. So if you're having those thoughts, um, don't feel afraid to seek help. Mm. Um, I see my husband is, uh, he wants to say something. Oh, 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 oh okay. if, if you're at the end of the I'm done. Okay. Yeah, that was my PS. Okay. <laughs> Powerful. It's beautiful. Well, I, you know, the, the, so there are so many points. I mean, that, that, so there was another topic there of, you know, wrestling then with, you know, health, some health issues and some, you know, some postpartum depression. But it's like, like the journey, the adventure of marriage and family, you know, is this, this continually ratcheting up of both the, the challenge, but also the, you know, the blessings that God wants to give you. And that's, that's kind of what we continually experience. We get to a kind of a new threshold, a new, a new plateau of, you know, like what could be more, and a greater adventure than us and our little two kids. Well, then it's mm. then there's a new challenge and, and a, new, a new kid. And we we've we've really fallen in love with the domestic church, with mm. you know this um, being called to to guard and reveal and communicate love in this unique vocation of the family. Um, and it's such a great training ground that God gives you. It, it, Chesterton calls his definition of romance is something bewildering mixed with something. 
homely, you know, or, or comfortable. And that's what, that's what an adventure is, is we, we, you continually have the, the otherness of new life and of new challenges and of having to go out of yourself to serve the other. But it's, it's constantly feeding back into this community of love that God gives us. And so, um, again, the fruit of trust in God, that if you, you've called us to this vocation, we don't understand all the pieces of it, and we, we continually reach new challenges that we're not quite prepared for, but God is so faithful, and He's so abounding in love, that if we, have, if we avail ourselves of His grace and of the re- revelation in His Church, you know, the adventure is just beyond anything we could have hoped or dreamed or prayed for. Truly amazing and, and beautiful. And one of the great gifts of radio is certainly any who are hearing your voice right now and, and your honesty and candor and the word becoming flesh, that it isn't just this pristine, perfect, angelistic picture. Uh, it, there, there is the struggle and there's the challenge in sharing that with us. And there's grace in that. Um, I want to ask you in just a moment to maybe lead us in a prayer. Uh, and then on the other side, John Mark, maybe share with us a little bit about the Coming Home Network. But I want to seize this opportunity with radio to unite all who are listening right now. Maybe some are in that place. Maybe the grandparents of parents who are younger or dealing with postpartum or dating or chastity, the range of things we talked about. Would you guys just, like right now, just lead us into a place, I hear trust coming out strongly, lead us into a place of seeking God's grace and trusting in Him. Let's face it, sometimes in the shadows. So go for it. Sure. Sounds good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for all your blessings. We call upon you, Holy Spirit, to fill, to fill us and to fill our li- the listeners tonight, um, especially all those mothers and fathers mm. who are called to this great vocation of family, this great vocation of guarding, revealing, and communicating love. Uh, we ask you to send your Spirit, especially on any of those who are hurting, mm. who any of those who are experiencing uh, depression or, or challenges at points in their vocation, we ask you to heal them and bless them. We ask especially for an increase of trust, mm. and to a, a deep, rich trust, a faith, hope, and love in you, Lord, in your mercy, in your plan, your purpose for our lives. We know that you're you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful and you're all-good, and that means that we really can trust you. Mm. We really can trust your purpose and we can take each next step knowing that you will guide our paths. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill our hearts and fill the hearts of all the families that are connected to this radio station, listening to this show. Um, you know, bless them and, and you know, bring uh, bring in this generation just a new mm-hmm. a new respect and dignity of life, a new love of family, a new recognition of who you are, Lord, through your image in the family. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Folks, just a brief commercial. You're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live. Very blessed to have John Mark and Teresa Grodi sharing with us so candidly this great drama of of imaging the Trinity and living it out. And uh, just if you're listening now, folks, as we're about to enter into Advent, we're pretty close. Um, We invite you to join us on this journey with our Presence for Christmas events, four consecutive weeks of being before Jesus in a powerful way before the Eucharist. And uh, wonderful testimonies, confession going on, four consecutive weeks at St. Joan of Arc. And uh, you can find out more at ilovemyfamily.com, ilovemyfamily.com. And uh, also you'll see registration for a marriage mission retreat going into the new year. And um, a lot of this uh, is really about getting 
families together to talk and pray and encourage and support each other. We call those lit groups. We've shared that with you folks. You can find out more about that at ilovemyfamily.com. So, John Mark, share with us a little bit about continuing the legacy, the mission of Marcus in the Coming Home Network. What is it about, and uh, how's it going? Sure thing, Greg. Uh, it's going well. You know, I, I when I was growing up, I didn't imagine that I'd be involved in the Coming Home Network because in, when I was young, I always imagined that the Coming Home Network was all about a bunch of apologetic stuff, which, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of apologetics debates, which didn't really interest me. And as I, I grew and matured and got a greater insight into the work, I, I recognized that my whole life had been formed not by apologetics, by 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 faithful, passionate followers of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. who who continued their journey and followed where he led them, and that was home to the Catholic Church. And that was that that journey, that journey of, of following Christ, the fullness he wants to give you, that was amazing to me, you know. And again, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a cradle, but a, uh, a bunk bed Catholic. I've always <laughs> been in the Church, uh, but I'm, you know, my wife and I and, and the people in my life, you know, we're, we're all about uh, following Christ where he leads. And so th- I had such a connection to the people who would come to this apostle of the Coming Home Network um, from various faith backgrounds, but passionate about following the Lord to the fullness he wanted to give them. So the Coming Home Network is a network of mostly evangelical Protestant Christians who have come home to the Catholic Church. They've embraced uh, the Catholic Church, Christ in his fullness in the sacraments. Uh, and as a network, you know, we reach out to others who are on the journey. We help them on their journey home to the Catholic Church. We encourage them uh, and pray for them and support them uh, throughout that journey into the Church so that, you know, as a network of, of converts, uh, we can uh, assist the Church in her, her mission of evangelization, and we can help in, in our organic, person-to-person way bring back the Christian unity where it's been divided. Amen. So We'll have to have you back. Uh, We've got to cut in short, come in for a landing. But folks, thanks so much for being with us tonight in this great journey of faith. We just pray that our hearts and minds be open to God's profound love, to the full and overflowing to all those around us for the glory of His name through Christ our Lord. Thanks so much, John, Mark, and Teresa. God bless you guys.